Welcome, and thank you for joining us in today's teaching as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Greg. Today's message, I titled it, Babylon Destroyed. Now let's pick it up where we left off last week, verse 9. This is the great city of Babylon destroyed, verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Let me, excuse me, remind you that This destruction is happening at the time that the last bowl judgment is being poured out on this earth. When is the last bowl judgment poured out? Right at the very end of the seven years of tribulation. We read in Revelation 16, 19. Now the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail since the plague was exceedingly great. There is going to be great devastation right at the end as these seven last bulls are unleashed upon this earth and Babylon is going to be part of that destruction. It falls under the seventh bowl that is being poured out. We're told in verse 9 of our text here in, in, in chapter 18 that the kings will be weeping and lamenting as they see the smoke of her burning. We're also told that they are standing at a distance for fear of what they are seeing, and they're crying out, alas, alas. Some Bibles read, whoa, whoa. The great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. It's it's as if they're standing there beating their breast, crying out, whoa, whoa, as they stand there in the sea the destruction of Babylon. You know, as I was reading even this text, the first thing that came to my mind were the faces that I saw of the people that stood there. On, we saw it on TV as the people stood there as the, as the planes hit the Twin Towers. And as they saw those Twin Towers begin to crumble... And come down to the ground. Do you remember seeing the faces of the people? As they just saw in horror what was taking place. That I believe, and not related to this, but that's what I believe as we're seeing and the kings of the earth see Babylon. And see this destruction that is coming before their eyes. In verse 9 and 10, it's 
really the first of three times in our text this morning that we're going to see people weeping and lamenting in fear as they see Babylon destroyed. Look at verse 15 in your Bibles. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. That's the merchants. Look at verse 19. The shipmasters uh, threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships (coughs) on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. We can see that this is going to be a horrendous time. Remember, right at the very end of the tribulation period. Now look at verse 11. Then the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Uh, This word merchandise that we see here is a Greek word that actually just means cargo. Their cargo or their freight or their load, those things that they would go out to sell and to to make money from. We're told in verse 3 of this chapter that the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So in other words, Babylon is going to be... Thank you. Babylon is going to be that city... Uh, that is going to bring forth wealth. People are going to trade. I, I believe that it is going to encompass and be a worldwide thing in the sense of the riches that will come forth. But I believe in a sense like this rebuilt Babylon is going to be like the capital. It's going to be the trading center of commerce that will be there in the Middle East. We read in also in verse 23, it says, For the merchants were the great men of the earth. And they're great because of power and the wealth that they hold. In verse uh, 12 and 13, we see the list of this merchandise. Look in your Bibles. Merchandise of gold and silver. Merchandise of precious stones and pearls. Fine linen and purple, and silk, and scarlet. You know, the, the, the gold, and silver, and pearls, <clears throat> really, I think, are speak of fine jewelry. Uh, this fine linen, and purple, and silk, fine clothing. And, and notice that these are really some of the same things that the harlot has on in chapter 17, verse 4. You see that. She's adorned this way with gold, and and fine linen and purple and scarlet. It's this picture of luxury and wealth. But we're going to see that it's at the expense of souls. The list goes on. It says, every kind of citron wood, every, con- every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, which all speak of really costly furnishings. Cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, which are expensive fragrances and spices of the day when John was writing this. 
wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, luxury foods. This wasn't what people commonly ate and could partake of unless you had wealth, unless you were rich. Horses and chariots were speak of the really the transportation of the wealthy. And then it says, and the bodies and souls of men, which these, this word body can speak of slavery. It's really, I believe, the marketing of people. Uh, you know, all of the list of <clears throat> merchandise that we see here, these were all things that were common to John's day. These would have been the things that what it's going to look like during the tribulation, what they're going to be trading, we don't know. These were common things of his day. But what they all do is they all point to the fact that there's going to be this commercial trading going on that is going to bring great wealth for those that are striving after it and going after it. But here's something I want you to notice also about this list of merchandise. These are all things that are categorized as excess. They're not necessities of life, are they? This was not the things that the common people were able to typically partake of. Babylon and commercial Babylon is going to be that center at which people are going to draw their riches and, and, and great gain from. So why does this matter to God? Why is all this a a concern to God? Well, I think that the part that really jumps out at me is the last part. The bodies and souls of men. And, you know, in the name of false religion, just look at our world today, but in the name of false religion, lives are being taken right now, every single day. Lives are being taken in the name of religion. It's the corruption, really, of politics around our world that are destroying lives. Kings and nations that oppress their people and kill their people. Look at the nation of North Korea. Look what's going on in in the Middle East and so many of the countries today. Political power, corruption. It's really the power and the evil and the lust of riches and the material gain also that has been at the expense of the souls of men. Henry Morris, a commentator, wrote this about this verse concerning the bodies and the souls of men. This is what he says. The international uh, traffic in forced prostitution, both of men and women, is a tragic but financially lucrative business of modern times and will undoubtedly become even bigger in the evil days ahead. These vice barons are particularly venomous, great men of the earth, not only amassing great wealth for themselves, but destroying both the bodies and souls of the helpless girls and boys who come under their control. As I shared last week, don't ever think that even one soul or one child 
that has been hurt in this world, that it's going to go unnoticed and unjudged by God. Not one soul. I started looking a little bit into this whole thing of human trafficking. And I read an article from a, a, a group that had a summit. It was called the Freedom Summit of 2013. And they wrote something concerning human trafficking. And this is what it says. It reads that, there, uh, that three of the ten worst child sex trafficking areas in the United States are in California. Interesting. San Francisco... Los Angeles, and San Diego. Victims in California are domestic servants, child laborers, sex slaves, and forced laborers of all ages. Over 27 million people are slaves today. More than during 400 years of transatlantic slave trade, the sale of human beings is the third largest illicit trade following drugs and weapons, but is growing faster than both of these. An estimate, an estimate of 50% of the victims are children and 80% of them are women. When I was down in Baja, Mexico, doing a missions trip, we would go out to this Indian camp out there. And this Indian camp that we went to was full of laborers. And these laborers that were out there were actually being held in bondage to those that owned the the fields where they harvested them. How they did that is they paid them, but the only way that they could get food was to go to the market that the the, uh, owner had and buy their food to feed their families. And then they wouldn't pay them enough uh, for the purpose that the price of the food was priced high. And then what they would do is give them credit. And so they would give these workers credit towards buying food, and then they would indebt them to themselves so that they could never leave. And they, be, they really were making them slaves to their uh, going out and, and harvesting their crops. It happens all over the world. Another article that I read of human trafficking estimated that 800,000 people are trafficked, trafficked, I'm not even saying that right, worldwide each year, it says that 14 to 17,000 are shipped into the United States for mainly one reason, and that's prostitution. 50% of the people trafficked into the United States each year are children. The International Labor Office says that human trafficking worldwide is a $32 billion a year industry. Can you imagine? God that sits in heaven, he sees all this. $32 billion a year industry just from human trafficking around the world. Is God going to deal with this and judge us? Yes, he will. In the end, God is going to see. Our problem is is we don't see it all the time. But when you read this and you realize what God sees, God will judge these things. He hates these things and he will judge them. Jesus said in Matthew 18.6, he says, For whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him to, if he were to have a millstone hung around his neck 
and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. I wouldn't want to be one of these traffickers taking the lives of children and people for their own gain. Verse 14 tells us what the fruit of these things are going to be. It says they don't satisfy. Look what it says. The fruit of your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. Really what he's saying here is the fruit is really speaking of the ripe fruit. The ripe fruit is really the good things of life, we could say. And so what he's saying here is the good things of life that your soul or your heart longs for and desires for has gone from you. And all the things, and I've underlined that, all the things or all the luxuries which are rich and splendid. These are the things that you delighted in. They're gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. There's really going to be nothing that's going to ultimately satisfy the soul of man in in things and luxuries. The things that their souls were coveting are now the things that are going to be destroyed. We as Christians are exhorted, and John did this in 1 John 2.15, we're exhorted as believers not to allow ourselves to be consumed and for our hearts to become attached and to run after the things of this world. We're to, it's okay to have things, but we're not to let our hearts become attached to them. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We should be holding loosely to the things of this world. We should not get ourselves caught up into the, to the, the world's mold. Just always be aware that this world wants to pour you into its mold. It wants to make you like the world. And we're called to be separate and to come out from amongst them and not let those things control us. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, wrote this concerning the last days. This is what he says. But know this, Timothy, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like the days we're in? I mean, when I read that, I go, 
that sounds like today. That's the world we're living in now. Paul's exhorting Timothy that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. We need to be on guard, Christians. We need to be aware of what's going on around us and not allow these things to consume us. Look at verse 15 in your Bibles. The merchants, and the merchants are the sellers of these things, the merchants of these things who become rich by her, speaking of Babylon, they will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was, and you can make a note there, past tense, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones. It was. And they're looking at this, and they're crying out and beating their breasts as they see it come to the end. I read a little bit just about the stock market crash of 1929. And the effect that that had here on this nation. It's been said that there were people in the stock exchange that worked that that were jumping out windows and committing suicide during that time. It's what people will cling on to. It's like everything to them. And when it's gone, these merchants beating their breasts, it's all over, it's all done. In Revelation 18.3, we read, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And now it's gone. Verse 17 tells us what the suddenness of Babylon's destruction is going to be. It's going to happen in one hour, which really is a way of of saying it's going to happen suddenly. And And not only suddenly, but it's going to happen completely with finality. And when other in other words, when God judges Babylon, it's done. Its destruction has come. Look at verse 17. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors and many as trade on the sea, they're crying out and they're shouting when when they see the smoke of her burning saying, what is like this great city? Here's all those that are make, have made their money and seeing Babylon coming to ruin, God's judgment being poured out upon it. Jesus warned also his disciples in Matthew 6, 19. It's a warning for us. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a warning for 
anyone that would pursue the riches of this life, the things that are just temporary, they all break, they all rust, they all come to nothing. And so many times our hearts chase after things that we want. And they're not going to be lasting things. Jesus tells his disciples to store those things that are going to last. Those are the things that are going to last for eternity. We only have this life to live for the Lord. And all that you store up in this life is what you're going to be have for eternity. The things that you do for Christ are going to be the things that are going to last. Verse 19 tells us that as they stand there watching their city burn, look at verse 19, they throw dust on their heads and they cry out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. The throwing of dust on a person's head and, and the crying out was an action really that, that showed mourning. It was a person that just had, uh, had received great loss. They were in grief. That's the picture that we see here as these people stand and watch at a distance. The reason for their outburst of woe, woe, is because of the sudden and complete destruction that they're seeing. The great city of wealth and power that they lived by and and got their wealth from is now being devastated and brought to nothing. The kings that lived luxuriously are weeping. The merchants are weeping. The shipmasters and the sailors are weeping and wailing. But I want you to notice something that they're weeping here is not for the souls of men. It's not for those that have been destroyed. It's for their wealth that is gone. That they are crying out for. We were told that in one hour, Babylon is made desolate. Now, I want to bring up a couple of things here that I think are important for us to know. One of them concerns Babylon, is that people, and I've got into this a little bit when we started chapter uh, 17 about the interpretation of Babylon. And people have said, well, you know what, Babylon uh, no longer exists. There's some ruins there that have started to be rebuilt. But it's no longer there. Are we talking about just something symbolic or it's not really, you know, really a literal city that's out there? Here's what's interesting is uh, one uh, commentator wrote, History records that although Babylon fell numerous times at the hands of different invaders, it never suffered anything like a complete destruction. Instead, it continued to be inhabited hundreds of years after its initial fall to Persia, and then eventually through neglect more than anything else, became an insignificant on the stage of world history. Yet the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and John here in Revelation give a completely different scenario of her destruction, one that is sudden, swift, and absolutely catastrophic. 
And so what we see when we look, and remember that I, as I shared when we started out in chapter 17, that the second most spoken of city in the, book, in the Bible is Babylon. Jerusalem first, then Babylon. And so there is much to be said about this city. There is a rule of interpretation. When you study and you look at prophecy, one of the rules of interpretation is called the law of double reference. And what that means is, is when two events that are widely separated as to time of their fulfillment may be brought together into the scope of one prophecy. A prophet could have a message for his own day as well as a future time. And so when you're reading about Babylon and much is said of Babylon in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Jeremiah, you can read much about it. When you're reading a lot of these prophecies, what you're seeing is, is that Babylon existed. It goes all the way back to Genesis 10. It has a whole history that goes through all the way through the Bible, all the way ending in Revelation. But what we're seeing the prophets foretelling about Babylon and its destruction, what we're seeing there in Isaiah and Jeremiah has not been fulfilled. And so what this this law of double references is saying is, yes, it was partially fulfilled in Jeremiah and Isaiah's day, but is going to be completely fulfilled in the book of Revelation. That is the law of double references. A few of these verses that I want to just share with you are in regards to Isaiah's prophecy and Jeremiah's prophecy. And I'll read you just a few of them. Isaiah thirteen nineteen reads this way. Concerning Babylon that was going to uh, be overthrown. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the, be- the beauty of the Chaldeans, pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, was Sodom and Gomorrah a literal city in your mind? I believe it was literal. And God literally destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so why is not Babylon here literal also? Listen to what he says. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Now, here's Isaiah prophesying really about about Babylon and its destruction, that it was going to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we we know through history that that has not transpired to that degree. Isaiah 21 verse 9 says this, And look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. And then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Now that's the same wording that we're reading in the book of Revelation. When the angel is saying, Babylon is fallen, has fallen, it's the final destruction and really, I believe, the second fulfillment to these prophecies. In the book of Jeremiah... In chapter 50, verse 13, the prophet Jeremiah wrote, Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, speaking about Babylon, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at all of her plagues. Jeremiah 50, 26, Come against her from the farthest border. 
open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps of ruin, ruins and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Jeremiah 51.29 And the land will tremble and sorrow for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without habitants. Revelation chapter 17, verse 16. Now let's move it into the New Testament. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Speaking about future Babylon. Revelation 18.2, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Do you see from Jeremiah, from Isaiah, prophecies that were prophesied thousands of years ago, are now, I believe, the second part of that being fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period. That's why it's important to know when you're studying prophecy, there's other things. There's the Isaiah 53 in the, with the Lord. Uh, people have said, well, I, you know, Isaiah 53, it's a double prophecy. There's Psalms that have double prophecy. It's all the way through the Old Testament where sometimes the prophecy is fulfilled just as the prophet said and it's done. Sometimes it's a twofold, meaning that it was pr- fulfilled uh, fulfilled uh, in the Old Testament, but it's also speaking of a future. And you see that a lot with the day of the Lord. All the references that speak about the coming day of the Lord. Well, sometimes they were current day uh, prophets speaking against a nation or people. And then it also has reference to a future event. The prophet Jeremiah, when he wrote these prophecies, that was in five, approximately 575 B.C., 575 years before Christ that Jeremiah wrote, and this is one of the the prophecies that he wrote concerning Babylon. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commended Sarai, the son of Nera, the son of Mesha, when he went to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon. In the fourth year of his reign, then Sarai was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon, all these words that were written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sarai, when you arrive in Babylon and see it, and read all of these words, then you will say, O Lord, you have spoken against his place to cut it off, so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when they have finished reading this book, that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink, and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, I believe, was prophesying of something in his current day, but it has not yet been fulfilled. But it actually parallels what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 18. We know that Babylon was defeated uh, by Cyrus of Persia. He came in in 539 and he conquered that city, but this is what we know from history, that Cyrus 
made Babylon a capital. He actually uh, revived it and, and rebuilt it and used it as his own capital of that time. So it was not devastated and less left desolate. We know that after that, in 331 B.C., that the Grecians came in under with Alexander the Great. They also came in and overtook Babylon. But we know that Alexander the Great had intentions to make that a capital city, to rebuild it. But uh, uh, Alexander didn't live to see the day. Now we know, though, from history that that city went on that Babylon continued on. It never has come to that place that we're reading about, like we're reading in Revelation 18 here, of being fully decimated and brought to nothing. We know that Babylon eventually faded away. It kind of came to just nothing there. There's ruins out there today. There's still inhabitants around the area. Remember, this is just about 50-some miles uh, south of Baghdad, there today where Babylon existed. But I want you to think of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire basically just came and went and faded out into history. And that's why we also believe that it's going to be the Roman Empire that is going to be revived during the tribulation period, the ten kings under the Antichrist. It's going to be a revived Roman Empire. Rome was never completely destroyed by an enemy. It just basically from within crumbled and came to nothing. Same with Babylon. And I believe, I'm babbling now, I believe Babylon will be also rebuilt. Look at verse 22, and we're almost through. We read, The sound of harpist, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. Speaking about Babylon. No craftsmen, which is speaking about these artisans or these, these uh, designers, these silversmiths, these potters that work within the city. No uh, craftsmen of any craft shall be found in you Anymore, And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Uh, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for your sorcery of all nations were deceived. We see that all of these things are going to come to nothing, to a complete end. Isaiah wrote concerning Babylon in in chapter 47, verse 12. He says, Stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. Utter destruction will come by the hand of God in the last days of the tribulation period. In verse 24, and we'll finish, and in her, 
speaking of Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain or killed on the earth. Within Babylon, within this place, uh, the blood of the saints and prophets. In Revelation 17, 6, we read, John wrote, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. I believe that during the tribulation time, there are going to be tribulation saints. There are going to be people that are going to get saved during this time. Jew and Gentile. I believe that there are going to be a multitude of people that are going to give their life for Christ. They're not going to be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark. They're going to have to go into hiding. There's going to be a time against the church. Just as, as we are seeing in our world right now, the, the persecution against Christians, just multiply that, who knows by how many times, during the tribulation time, where if you're a Christian and you have to make a stand, then you're going to, many of them, are have, going to have to be slain for their faith during that time. I just saw on the news that, and maybe you saw it, that this group ISIS has taken and they had aerial shots. I didn't see the shots, but our government has aerial shots of them just taking them out and slaughtering them and cutting their heads and doing whatever horrendous things with a hundred of them. And then they followed that up with sending a, a, a missile down to destroy them after they had killed them. Uh, they're, they're it's a genocide right now of what's taking place over there in Iraq. And this is against the Christians. Remember what I shared a, a, a few weeks back of, of what the ultimatum that ISIS gave them. You know, either pay a tax, convert to Oz, uh, Islam, or die. And many of them are fleeing. And so they're seeking them out, and they're making them uh, a show for the world, basically, is what they're doing. Multiply that during the tribulation period. The church is removed. Uh, Satan is having his way. Uh, the religion and the false religions of the uh, religion of the world, and who knows where Islam will play in all this, and the Christians that are going to be killed really during this time. Christian, uh, Christian today wrote it in uh, one of the articles that I read that the number of Christians killed for their faith has doubled in 2014. Doubled. Uh, more were killed for their faith in Syria in 2013 than the whole world saw in 2012. Open Doors International, a charity that supports Christians under pressure for their faith, said that 2,123 Christians were reported to have been killed during the 12 months ending October 31st, 2013. That compares to 1,201 during the previous 12 months. During the most recent period, more Christians were killed in Syria alone than were killed globally in the previous year. And so how much is it on the rise? We've just seen a double in just one year 
of Christians that are giving their life for their faith. We're living in days uh, as a church here in America where I believe that we are a little bit insulated. We're feeling like the insulation is being removed a little bit. But we are a little bit insulated by some of the freedoms that we have. But when you look at the book of Revelation and you look at end times events, you always have to keep in mind that this is a global thing. This is not just the church here in America. This is a global vantage point that God has of this world. And what is going on in our world today is increasingly becoming more and more evil every single day. And as Christians, our response in America should be, we need to support, we need to pray, we need to look for ways that we can be a a witness in the freedom that we have in a way that much of the world can't. They can't have a Bible unless you convert to Islam, you'll die. That's what they live under. And we come to this place and worship here where many people can't. It should stir our hearts. That's the reality, really, of what we're reading here. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word. Thank you.